Welcome to the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. I'm your host, Nicole, and this podcast is your guide to start creating a lifestyle by design. From entrepreneurship, money and finance, taxes and residencies, and everything in between, this show highlights the nuances of a true global citizen lifestyle. Let's dive in. Morgana, welcome to the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. I am so excited to dive into money, finance, travel. So before we dive into the juicy stuff, I would love to hear more about you, your story, where you started, and how you got to where you are today. I've been coaching now this month. I've completed my 29th year as a life and business coach. I started coaching long before people even knew what it was. I came into this because I've always, even as a kid, I've always been really asking big questions like, what is it to be human? What is the nature of this universe we live in? How do we have a better experience? I even ran off and got a degree in religion from Smith College a long time ago. And I also had a catastrophic car accident. I was on a bicycle, so it was not a fair match at all. Head injury, homelessness, all sorts of drama when I was in high school before college. I started in the entertainment industry. I was, I had to do my time as an actress. I grew up in LA. It's required. So I did that, was struggling with that because that's normal and happened upon this coaching company that focused on entertainment industry people. And I started coaching for them and I was getting like really unlikely dramatic results where my clients were winning awards and primetime TV series and big movies and selling films and all this kind of stuff. And I just always sort of had a bit of a magic touch. So I quit acting because it was so much more fun being effective, helping other people And I could help people and I accrued way too many like coaching certifications, hypnosis, neuro-linguistic programming, you name it, education junkie. What I could not do was make money, which was ridiculous because I had mountains of these celebrity testimonials and I had the website And the business cards and the brochures and public speaking and a reputation. People wanted to hire me. And I had, I was doing all the online stuff like really early. And I was doing everything right with that and the education and the certifications and the testimonial and the marketing and working with my own coach. I was struggling to make a hundred dollars a month in Los Angeles. And I had just. Finish that class on overcoming sales objections. So I took these like superpowers of overcoming sales objections because even with the head injury, I like graduated high school living on floors as a national merit scholar with a brain that wasn't even working at that time. So I take this class on overcoming sales objections and I'm really good at it. So seven people in a row, I overcome their objections. Seven people in a row don't show up for the first session, don't pay me. And that was when I lost like my last gasp of hope because I had been doing everything, taking class after class, taking classes that were telling me to do what I was already doing, like I was already (laughs) recirculating and getting results 
and not able to get paid. It was like I had superpowers of money repulsion, a big R on my chest, totally living on debt and frightened. And I had just taken this class and, and, and even that, the uh, sales objections, even that failed. That was like my Hail Mary last chance. And I remember being stood up that on that final call, there wasn't anything left to do. And I remember pulling the curtains shut in my little tiny bedroom that I could not afford, getting on my bed and just screaming, lying down and screaming and crying and raging my heart out because I didn't know what to do. And I was so frightened and so angry and so hurt. I finally knew what I'm here to do and I'm good at. And I can't make a living at it. And it was like the universe just didn't want me here and I didn't want to be here. And I had two thoughts. One of them was maybe money needed to be my next area of spiritual growth. That's kind of a cop out because I'm from Southern California and like spirituality is really natural and, you know, the community I grew up with. It was almost like if I hide money in the spiritual box, maybe, maybe I can be a grown up with it. So there was some truth to it, but I don't say you have to go that route. The other thought was I got really curious what was inside of me that couldn't be with money because it didn't make sense. On paper, I should have been doing really, really well. I had bigger and better results. The next day I had a call with my coach, which I really want to get you get get you to just you're probably already thinking how crazy is that I can't pay rent insurance food anything like and I still have a coach which is insane and it also saved my life and set me on the path that I'm on today by the way kind of spoiler alert I've made millions of dollars since then but we'll come back to that so here I'm with my coach this pit of despair. I've been working with him for months, doing, trying everything he wanted me to do, wasn't moving the dial at all. But today, instead of giving me something to do, he asked me a really weird question that changed my life. He asked me, if your money was a person, who would your money be? And because I was frankly, having an existential question or crisis. I was having this existential crisis where I was like really not sure I wanted to stay on the planet. And and I felt so soul crushed and abused and rejected and hurt and all those really dark feelings. As soon as he asked me that question, I saw in my mind's eye this big, scary, dirty, violent biker dude who caused bites and terrified me. This one was like really, and I could see myself in my mind's eye at a live event, keeping my eye on this biker all the time to create maximum distance between us for safety. And that was my big aha moment. That's why I was pushing money away. And I never knew it until I saw who money was and how dangerous and evil and problematic it was, how it wanted to hurt me. And it was like, no wonder, no wonder I was keeping distance did not matter what I did, how well I did it, how many courses I took. It didn't matter. I was getting the same result because 99% of us is subconscious. All of our attitudes, beliefs, and actions, they just arise out of the subconscious. So you can be doing all the right stuff at the right time. 
And if you are protecting yourself from what you pursue, whether it's money or it's love or it's some kind of breakthrough in health or whatever, protection will win. That's the prime directive. Protect the host. And I was protecting myself from money and I never had a clue. So I've got this guy, this biker who's scary, who I'm protecting myself from. And there was no way that was going to change because he was bad. So I realized I could not have money in my life if that was money. So I had to end that relationship. I got rid of the biker, which created a new problem because I live in LA and I just rejected the only relationship with money I had. And it was like feeling this empty gap, this abyss around me, this relationship, emptiness, absence that I never knew was there until it was gone. Like the monster was like the water and I'm the fish. It was just there until it wasn't. I was like, whoa. I need to fill this space before this monster comes back or some rando monster walking down Sunset Boulevard or something. So I knew I need to have a relationship with money and it can't be with that guy or anything like that. This is, this is the moment in the movie where I would go to the salon and get a really bad haircut. So like in that part of my life, I did not. I just instead asked myself, well, who could I want in my life so much that I would want this person even if this person is money? And up arises out of nowhere in my mind's eye, this completely gorgeous, sweetheart, hunky, cutie guy, very safe, very handsome, holding a bouquet of red flowers in love with me. And what shocked me the most was the sense that he wanted to woo me. That was so weird. Like money wants to woo me was really weird, but it was also so delicious and he was so trustworthy. And I had this sense of how much he loved me and how he had been around for a really, really long time. And I had been pushing him away and, and rejecting him and breaking his heart. So there was this sudden awareness of, oh my God, I have so, I was the gatekeeper all along. I had this deep sense that money wanted to be with me in like a huge way. And I had no idea how to allow money to be with me because I had pushing money away unconsciously. And I, I started to just become aware of all the things that I was doing unconsciously when people would try to hire me that would talk them out of the sale. And I had no idea I was doing it. So I asked him, what do you need from me so you can be with me the way you want to be? And he just he said at that first time, that first conversation in March of 2003, he said, I need you to love me and stop treating me like a monster. I get it. So I will stop treating you like a monster. And quick pause, because I know everybody's thinking about the love of money is the root of all evil. Love is not evil. Love is not greed. And I made this agreement. When you bring me a gift, I will say thank you. And this is what it will look like. And the reason I share that is because afterwards, Within like a couple of days, four people hired me at double what I'd ever charged before. And they kept coming and they kept coming and the relationship just keeps evolving. I eventually broke it down to six steps. So the six steps are step number one, uncover the root cause behind your money drama. Whether it's nobody hiring you like was my beginning place. 
some kind of scarcity, some kind of drama, whether you are couch surfing or you have millions, drama. It's amazing how anxious millionaires and multimillionaires can be. The root cause is never about money. Money is the symptom. Money is made up by human beings to measure value that, you know, we just make up that one person's worth $5 and another is worth 5,000. So what money really is, is what it represents, which is love. Are you loved and lovable? It represents worth. Are you worthy? Are you valued? And honestly, we all spend our time with unlovable, unworthy, unsafe, and powerless moments. Nobody is immune to those states of being. It's part of the human experience. So what happens is whatever has ever made you feel unlovable, unworthy, unsafe, or powerless is going to show up in your life challenge. I believe life gets our attention for our evolution through three primary teachers, money, love, and health. And they'll all show up at different times. And I've coached all three, but I usually start with the money piece because I think it affects everything more than anything else. Sometimes a client will like come up with some real like cartoonish version. And that's a way of creating an emotional distance from the monster, which is really understandable, but it also removes power from the experience. It gives you less fuel. So what we really want is we want it to feel very real and really hideous. Put everything that you do not want in your life experience into this monster and reject it. And then blow it up or cut it down whatever you want to destroy it. So step number four is you meet your money, honey. As I said earlier, the number one rule of your money, honey, is this person loves you, loves you unconditionally. I find from experience that a romantic archetype tends to work best, not absolutely necessary. Step number five is now have a conversation with your money, honey. Do you have something on your mind that you've been struggling with or a decision to make? See it through your money honey's eyes. Sit on an imaginary couch and just like cuddle. Look at the situation as a couple. That's where I would start because the response you're going to get is usually going to be something vague, very kind of Yoda-like. It's going to be something like love yourself, relax. And kind of impossible to execute for the rest of your life. Some days you love yourself. Some days you're like, eh. So we really want to boil it down to something that you can do. Something concrete and measurable that can demonstrate to you that you're in this relationship and this relationship has changed. So that's step number six is concrete, measurable action. It doesn't even have to look like it has anything to do with money. The way you find out is you, you know, first of all, you don't grill your imaginary friend. Like you don't put the interrogation spotlight on your intuition. Instead, you can throw out ideas and just see how your money, honey responds. And your money, honey will be like, 
really? Or, okay, yeah, more, or, whoa, yeah. And, and, you know, for one client, it might be do your taxes and she'll come back and say, wow, that was like, that was like foreplay. And another client, it will be go dancing or get a pedicure or go to France. Does everybody at some point in their lives have not a trauma, but some type of negative mindset around money that brings about this money, honey, that may be more negative than positive? Or are there people who just naturally have that positive money, honey, and it just flows to them? Some people have a life that money is the pain hand that they start with, and some people don't. And I have, I remember at a friend's wedding, meeting this guy who had just closed this multi-billion dollar land deal that morning. He had grown up sort of on the streets as an orphan, was kind of rescued by a boys club. And now he's this multi-multi rich guy. And his monster is really around love. I didn't tell him that because he wasn't inviting me to coach him, but he feels safe with money, but he's been through maybe four marriages and really doesn't want another one. But I wouldn't presume to say everybody has a money monster, but everybody's human and everybody has their thing. Primarily, it's going to show up in some way or another in areas of money, love, and health because those are kind of the vulnerabilities of human existence. Uh, variations on that can be life purpose, fame, success, whatever. So whatever gets your attention is the most painful. I, I consider it a pain door, whether money, love, or health, whatever. It's a pain door to the same room, which is honestly your relationship with yourself and your life. And 10 years after I slayed my money monster, and I just so painfully wanted to be with my romantic partner. And I kept telling the universe, I want to travel the world with the love of my life. I just kept telling the universe this. And in 2000, I hear myself teaching a class and I'm saying things like, you know, if you're doing everything right and you're still not getting the results that you deserve and you desire, you're probably protecting yourself unconsciously from what you're pursuing. And I am saying that about money. And I'm hearing in the back of my head, that's you and love. And I'm going, oh, and I finally broke down and slayed my love monster, which was bigger than any money monster I ever had. And I met my husband two months later. I was in the second half of 45, never married, not for lack of wanting it or trying. And I met my husband two months later. and. About a year and a half into that, he proposed marriage, which was weird because I kind of knew at six months, oh, this is the guy. But I'd already decided. So I got home, picked him up the next day, and we eloped like that. Then we told our parents and went shopping for rings. And two weeks later, he had a trip because he was a travel writer. He had a trip to Puerto Vallarta. He told them, hey, I just got married. Can my wife come? And they said, sure, make it a honeymoon. So we went to Puerto Vallarta. We're walking down the street by this iconic cathedral of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And my husband on a lark was thinking, you know, there were some things I didn't say the first time we exchanged vows. So he says to me, hey, you want to get married again? 
I am filthy, greasy. We just got massages. I'm not wearing any makeup. I'm wearing flip-flops and a sundress. And I say, sure. So we like quietly walk into the cathedral, go to the front. Another person on our tour says, hey, I'm ordained in the U.S. And he says, great, you'll marry us. We take off our rings. We make up new vows on the spot. And it hit me so much deeper the second time around because I had been married for 13 days. So I knew 13 days more about what it means to be married than I did the first time. And I, I, it was like, I felt, it felt real this time. So I'm tearing up. People in the pews are clapping. And my husband got this idea that let's keep doing this. So within a day, he proposed, let's get married a hundred times in a hundred countries. Remember, I kept saying to the universe, I want to travel the world with the love of my life. And the universe delivered. We keep going back to Mexico, different areas. So it was like, oh, heck, let's get married again. Or somebody says, come, come to, you know, wherever and we'll marry you. We went to the Neo and they threw us this giant Mayan Mexican traditional wedding with like 42 dancers and a dancing horse and a pinata and ritual and music. It was amazing. I had no idea. I thought that our friend was just going to bring us into a corner and, and recite us what my husband wrote. I didn't, I packed a white tunic and yoga pants were what I got married in because I had no idea this was coming. Thank God. Cause I would have freaked out. So yeah, 26 weddings. The goal is a hundred. There's no time frame because this is this is something I would do for the rest of my life. If if we hit a hundred, there's no reason to stop. I recommend this to everybody. Steal it if you go to a new country or new place. You know, say your vows again in a new culture with okay, new I, traditions. This is so interesting, and I have two questions. First of mm-hmm. all. When you get married so many times, is it ever less special or is it just a different experience? And then also, I have to ask you, are these all legal in every single country that you are going to? No, they are not all legal, although I think the Slovenia one is. No wedding overseas is legal unless you're a citizen of that country. So our 14th wedding was at the courthouse in Newark, 20 minutes away by a judge. But remember, I kind of intimated that I might have commitment issues. My husband was so kind and understanding that he let us marry each other over and over and over again so that I could like ease into the idea. So we had all these like spiritual weddings and, and announced ourselves to be married and called each other husband and wife and were legally married in Slovenia. But I finally felt safe enough to get it done legally. About a year into our marriage, we decided to actually live together. And in answer to your question, every time we do it is deeper. And here's why. Like sometimes it's just with some like random young lady who's working behind the desk at our hotel or Airbnb or something in Mostar, Bosnia-Herzegovina, or Bay of Couture in Montenegro. And it's like, hi, can you read this? And it doesn't even matter if you get all the words right. And sometimes it's this like really big grand thing. 
But every time all that really matters is, wow, I know you better now than I did last time. Like we just had a horrible fight yesterday and I choose you anyway, knowing what a horribly flawed and misguided and wrong on this thing human being you are. I still adore you. I still choose you even when it's not easy. We had a wedding in, in Serbia that was really weird because my husband had a childhood friend from LA who ended up moving to Serbia, falling in love with a big recording artist, superstar in Serbia, and they wanted a double wedding. And I'm like, well, I have a hundred I can share. <laughs> and it went weird and sideways really fast. It wasn't what we expected. And there was a lot of hostility to the point that at this double wedding, when my husband started sharing his vows and we make up new vows every single time. And this time it was like, oh my God, it was poetry. It was on fire. I was so moved by what he was saying. And people in the wedding party started booing. I don't even know if they knew English, but they started booing when my husband was saying his vows. And I had this moment of clarity that I'm not going home with them. I'm going home with this person. The wedding is not the prize. The marriage is the prize. People put so much pressure on themselves with these high stake, very expensive, one shot only wedding things, which I think is a lot of pressure on a baby marriage, which is why I honestly, I was just going to elope and that's that. I looked at, I could afford to have like a big wedding, but I was like, Ooh, I, I'd rather buy a house. So it's kind of a, just a cosmic joke that I ended up with all these weddings because it wasn't my plan. But so we have this Serbian wedding where people are booing. We had to like leave before my husband got into a fight with somebody. <laughs> we just like grabbed our stuff and hopped on a bus in the rain. It was like the end of the graduate, you know, just my husband and I in the back of the bus going back to our hotel. It was just weird. Like we're still friends with some of the people from that, but it was, it was like the worst wedding you could have. I tossed the bouquet and it just landed on the floor with a thud. Nobody would even catch it. And that, the gift of that was like, but it's really the marriage. It's not about the wedding. Don't spend all your money on the wedding. And I love your 26, soon to be 100 weddings. I've never heard of that anywhere else, except I have always wondered, you know, is it legal? There are legal weddings and there are spiritual weddings. I think both are valid. At a certain point, my husband really, he didn't feel that our relationship is the government's business. I like doing things a little bit more by the book. And I also understand that if he gets sick, I want to be able to, vis- you know, have visitation and, and make decisions. So that's our way of kind of taking care of each other. It's It just made it a little bit deeper. Kind of the biggest surprise for me of all of this is even from the very first time, the first time we eloped, even though it wasn't registered with the state of California the first time. It did change everything in a way that I had no way of anticipating. It 
it made the relationship deeper and sweeter. I was afraid it was going to ruin everything. I was so happy with the way things were. And I was like, that was my hesitation. If we get married, what if that ruins everything? And it, it, it did change things, but it really made it deeper and sweeter when it's with the right person. And oh, there's something else I wanted to say about the getting married everywhere. Life is distracting. We get so like bogged up in business and pandemics and it's really easy to just kind of take your partner for granted. What getting married over and over again means is that you have to actually go through sort of the, have I frozen? Traveling somewhere and carving out time to get married again is a way that we make the marriage a priority. We're like carving time out of life to like stop time and life and just say, I choose you. And it keeps the relationship fresh. It keeps us in a kind of perpetual state of honeymoon. I like how just how untraditional your concept of it is. But I think to anybody listening as well, you know, living the lifestyle that I live, that I talk about, that a lot of listeners either live or want to live. It's a very global lifestyle. Is there any last thought, any last words that you want to leave the listeners with, whether it pertains to travel, to money? Honestly, that the only reason for the existence of money is in service to quality love, quality lifestyle, and a quality legacy. If you're stuck, in any of these areas of your life, definitely listen to this episode again. You, if you have questions, I would go to my website, MorganaRay.com. Just add a .com to my name. And I have a blog with hundreds of videos and articles to really answer whatever question you might have about the process. I also have on the homepage a four-part video series to help you do the process for yourself. I have a money love quiz on the homepage. If you want something more curated to you and what you need. And the whole point of all this work is to get rid of the friction, the obstacle, whatever gets in the way of allowing us to live a life, enjoying a great love lifestyle and legacy. You've just listened to the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. If anything from this episode resonated with you, I would appreciate if you share this podcast on your socials. And of course, be sure to tag me. And don't forget to leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for joining me on this global citizen journey, and I'll see you in the next episode.